Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, our free community education service brought to you by the CDE Academy. This is episode 38, and we are pleased to announce that we're in as many as 28 countries. Remember to give us a like and share widely on your preferred social media platform. Our podcasts are available on Spotify and the Apple podcast platform. Welcome, Michael Brown. Hi there, Stan. Busy week in diabetes management, Michael, as we head towards World Diabetes Day, and we're going to hear about that. Absolutely. And an excellent studio guest we have with us today. Mm-hmm. When thinking about the week in the clinic past, as is the case for perhaps most healthcare practitioners working in the field of diabetes medicine or in obesity-based medicine, is this idea of the clamor globally for medications like Ozempic, Victoza, and Saxenda and the like. Right. And because of the global run of these medications, there's been an increased demand from people with diabetes and perhaps people without diabetes to use these medicines, which has led to an acute shortage of these treatments. Mm -hmm. What that has had knock-on effect is, is that people are having to swap out between these various injections, some of which are daily, some of which are weekly. And it's important to pause and reflect on this. If you're going to arrive in a pharmacy, be sure that the substitution or the exchange of one brand for another is carefully explained to you because it cannot be presumed that this weekly injection can automatically be swapped for an alternative weekly injection. Your healthcare provider has clearly made an informed decision together with you, I hope, as to why the particular treatment was chosen in the first place. Perhaps you've had a side effect. Perhaps the medication you are taking mixes badly with some of the other drugs that you're taking. And that's very important because what I'm seeing day to day, at least in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, is that we are seeing some patients report side effects on one injectable-based treatments that they hadn't on another. Right. It's important to understand a couple of things. It's fine to swap between genericized versions of medications that have been on the market for a long time. But when we're talking about original products, you cannot just swap from one to the other, especially in the newer medications like the GLP-1 receptor agonists. Some of the molecules in a class may have different outcomes from another. So for example, some of the GLP-1 receptor agonists do not reduce risk of cardiovascular disease and others do. Great point, Michael. What I seem to have heard happening countrywide is they're having these so-called Tupperware parties where people are gathering at informal locations such as a home and (laughs) Ozempic, Victoza, Saxenda, Trulicity, etc., are actually being sold and all good and well from a social network point of view. But if you're going to use an injectable-based product like an insulin or one of these GLP-1 treatments as we refer to them, remember that the cold chain provision is vitally important. Mm -hmm. They are protein at their basis, so they can be cooked, so to speak, much like egg white can. And if you're using a product that you're poorly transporting back from a place of purchase to your home, or you're uncertain as to how the onward seller got hold of their product in the first place, maybe one reason why you're disappointed that the product failed to offer value in the first place. And I think for the high price of these drugs, you ought to be mighty careful in the 
this kind of Tupperware party environment. So just a heads up there, because these treatments are not without ill effects. Absolutely. They come with great cost. And really, the management of diabetes is much more nuanced than just simply taking one drug versus another. Thanks, Stan, for that great reminder. Medications are not to be played around with. It is with great excitement that we bring in our studio guest for this week, Siobonga Panele-Zuma. I met Siobonga online a couple of months ago during a mental health webinar, and I was so impressed by the way he presented himself and his lived experience with diabetes. As Stan and I have remarked on many occasions, the rise of muscular advocacy in South Africa in the last couple of years has been amazing. And I think that people like Siobonga are part of the cohort of people who are responsible for this. Siobonga holds a Bachelor of Social Science in Housing Development Studies and the Built Environment from the University of KwaZulu-Natal. But when I check out his social media, that great achievement seems to fade into the background because what appears to me to be Siobonga's identity is that he is a writer, a poet, and a diabetes advocate. He lives in Hawick, KwaZulu-Natal. He's been living with type 1 diabetes for over 15 years. And as a poet, he goes by his first and middle name, Siobonga Kwanele. Siobonga, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into diabetes, and we'll go from there. Good morning, Michael and Stan. Thank you very much for having me. I felt a sense of honor and proud of myself by the way you introduced me. Well, as you said, my name is Yamongawane Lezuma, and I'm from Hawick. If I may speak about my diabetes diagnosis, I was first introduced to diabetes through my older sister. She was diagnosed in September 2007 at the age of 16. Fast forward in May 2008, I was also diagnosed. Oh. What happened is that I was at school, grade five, and then I wasn't feeling well. I had symptoms such as needing to pee, frequent urination, and hunger, thirst. But I didn't understand what was happening. So my teacher called my parents to come fetch me, and I was fetched by my sister, my older sister, not that who had diabetes. She fetched me and took me to the hospital. And when she took me to the hospital, the doctors didn't understand what was wrong with me. So they almost misdiagnosed me with flu, which is the thing that happened to my sister, by the way. She was diagnosed with flu and was given flu medication by the doctor, which later landed her in ICU. Oh, no. So it also almost happened to me. But another doctor walked in and said, no, I'm familiar with these symptoms. Let's check his sugar levels. And when they checked me, they found that I had diabetes. So from there, I was taken to public hospital. I didn't have a medical aid. Yeah, from there on, I've been living with diabetes. Just to stop you there, I'd like to interject with one of your own quotes. I felt like I'd been robbed of my childhood by being denied the luxury of being a normal, carefree child. Something that I felt was my right at the time. And thereafter followed quite a long journey until where you are today, a journey of feeling robbed and denied, living a double life of denial, facing great temptation, eventually tossing self-control. And then you changed your perspective or your perspective was changed for you. You started to develop self-awareness, self-acceptance. You started living a life of authenticity and opening up to become the current day rational, responsible person who is now at peace and living with diabetes. So there, I've sort of just summed up your journey with diabetes, but I'd like you to unpack that for us, Siobonga. 
there's so much content there. And I think there's valuable lessons for both healthcare professionals and people with diabetes who are listening. Okay, before I start, the base of the story, I think it's peer pressure. I I love the topic of peer pressure because it it will always be relevant in our lives. So what happened is that when I was first diagnosed in 2008, I was in primary school. In primary school, my friends knew that I had diabetes because I was diagnosed in front of them. They accepted me. And then when I went to high school, the high school I went to in 2011 I was the only one coming from my primary school. There was no one there who knew me. And I didn't feel comfortable revealing that I'm diabetic because as much as my friends accepted me back then in primary, I did feel a sense of, okay, let me just say it's the stigma. There was a stigma. People asking you, did you eat too much sugar? Did you do this and that? Not understanding that type 1 diabetes is not caused by you doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I went to high school, I decided to hide that I had diabetes because of that stigma. So fast forward to grade 10, I fell into peer pressure. My friends, my peers, they were smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, going partying, banking school. And I felt left out. I felt different. And another thing that made me feel that different is that I lived in the suburbs I grew up in the suburbs and my friends and those I went to school with, most of them, they lived in the township. And that lifestyle is completely different. And I felt different, not only because of where I come from, but also because of my diabetes. So I also fell into that. I started drinking alcohol excessively, smoking weed excessively, which ended up being an addiction. I finished matric, I passed with flying colors. As you say that I have a degree in housing. I went to University of KwaZulu-Natal and I carried on smoking. But Mm -hmm. what happened when I went to UK is that on the very first day, I even remember the date, it was February 8, 2016. I met a woman who's now my fiance and the mother of my child. I met her and then fast forward when she was pregnant in late 2016, I made a promise to my son while he was still in his mother's belly that by the time he's born, I would have quit smoking cigarettes. Not marijuana, but just cigarettes. And I did that because I always believe that if you are a man of your word, you have to keep your promise. Because me making that promise to my son who was still in his mother's belly, if I broke that promise, that would symbolize to me that I will break any promise I make in the future when he's born. So fast forward, when he was born, I had quit smoking cigarettes. But a significant thing happened when he was born. On the next day after he was born, my favorite artist, a hip-hop artist, released his album, which sparked my interest for writing poetry. Mm-hmm. It changed the way I looked at life in general. It changed. I did have a talent for writing, but it made me more self-aware because the album was all about self-awareness, social awareness, and then also my son being born. So from there, I changed completely. Of course, change doesn't happen overnight, so I changed gradually. I started writing poetry, but still I was keeping my diabetes a secret because I kept my diabetes a secret from 2008 because those who knew didn't know for me. They knew because... Mm-hmm. So from 2008 to 2020, I was keeping that a secret. Mm-hmm. And I was already writing for three years, writing poetry. But I realized that as much as I may be connecting with my audience, I wasn't really connecting with myself <laughs> because I was 
withholding one of the most significant part of my life, which governs my life. There's a video I saw saying diabetes is like playing with a balloon. You always have to play with it in order to... So it didn't feel like I was connecting with people. So what I decided to do is one morning I just woke up and I was like, let me just post on Facebook that I've been living with diabetes. Today, it was the half point of my life. At that time, I was at a point where I had lived 12 and a half years with diabetes and 12 and a half years without diabetes. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to come open with it. And what happened there is that I noticed that there were people who approached me on the side and told me that they also live with diabetes or that they know someone with diabetes. And what happens is that when you're growing, you feel like you are the only one. You don't think it's something so common, which messes you up mentally in a way. So yeah, that's what happened. Peer pressure made me lose myself. So I was tired of living a double life, like you said. I was tired of living a double life and I was like, let me come out. Since then, I feel free. Like, Wonderful. There's a heavy burden off my shoulders. I started my diabetes advocacy last year, November 2022, by opening a YouTube channel called Tebonga Wanele and I started a series called Living with Diabetes. I started by telling my story, the stories I'm telling you here, how I was diagnosed, my medication, so on and so on. And then later on in the series, I started bringing in people. My first guest was my fiance. Second guest was my friend, a very close friend of mine. And then it was my sister who lives with diabetes. She also told the story. And then my last guest was my late father. I'm in this podcast because of that series. That's my story in a nutshell. I want to tell you what I've taken so far from this year, Bonga. Great story. For me, this is about the power of transformation. And if I think about you coming from Howick in the Midlands, and you know, you can't but think of the Nelson Mandela capture site. And think about Mandela's legacy as a person who transformed. And part of his inspiration was that ability to kind of let go of that negative components that he had harbored for so many years and really was a different person in his later years. Similar to the journey you experienced with diabetes, you know, the hardships that you endured early on and really the power of transformation for yourself is really inspiration. And I think for healthcare workers in diabetes, we need to harness that. We need to be mindful that people can change rather than have a fixed mindset that you're growing up in a particular socioeconomic class or perhaps you come from a particular ethnicity and perhaps your education standards aren't fantastic and you can land up getting suboptimal care because of those prejudices. So the plea is for healthcare workers to be mindful of their own trans formative journeys and to make sure that message is given to be the best it can be at all times. And I think your story really is an inspiration for me. I think this is as real as it gets. This is at the cold face of the lived experience of diabetes. If I may interject at this point to read one of your poems, Siobonga, I really like your poetry. It's real. It's authentic. And I'm going to read Chronic. A disease to please, rob me of my peace, always sought validation met all their expectations, neglected my well-being while I was busy pleasing, cheated on my own body while I charmed everybody, attended every party, sipped all of the Bacardis, inhaled some potent chronic. I forgot who I was. I've lived most of my life with a chronic disease. I cannot afford to please. I've got to tell it like it is, because if I sugarcoat, diabetes will be the death of me. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wrote it. <laughs> I think you recite it better. Oh, thank you. Uh, th thank you for that. Thank you for that. 
I want to explore this advocacy a little bit deeper because if I think about you know where your journey in advocacy has come from, you get the sense that there was the self-advocacy first. You needed to look after you, you yourself, your diabetes from the get-go. Eventually, you came around in that sense. And then what you've described is this kind of community inclusion advocacy far beyond just the self, where you started these social media channels, the YouTube you had spoken of, and started to include people around you that could amplify the advocacy. Where did the journey go from there? Did your voice get louder? Are you perhaps a person who's leading that group? Are you somebody who's a fantastic follower in a servant kind of setting? Tell us about your own leadership style within the advocacy movement. Well, if I were to speak about my leadership style, there's a video I saw on YouTube this week by Derek Sivers. He was speaking about leadership. There was a boy who was dancing. He was dancing alone and it looked like a silly dance. And while he was dancing, there was one person who decided to follow him and started dancing. And people were looking at them like they are crazy. And then fast forward, there was a whole crowd and it became a movement. Everyone was now dancing. And those who were sitting down and now looked as though they are the ones who are crazy. They were being ridiculed for sitting down. So to answer your question, I feel like that's how it is starting a movement. When I started all of this, I'd hear people calling me crazy, not for diabetes, but just me, because I don't only write about diabetes. I am a social commentary writer. So I'd be called crazy and all of that. <laughs> so what happened is that I now see it gaining traction. In my hometown, I feel like I'm still seeing like that because the attention that my content is grabbing is not from KZN. It's from Western Cape, Gauteng. So in a way, that's how it is. And if I let the fact that it's not gaining attraction in my hometown affect me, if I let it affect me, that will mean I'll lose motivation and stop doing it. But the fact that you are helping me is quite impressive. Because another thing is that as an African, as a Black person, we don't speak about these kinds of things at all. We don't speak about that. It takes real courage to stand up and speak about any chronic condition, not just diabetes, not just a chronic condition, anything, in fact. So it's not easy to get through to them. But if someone has the courage to start doing it, a crowd will follow. And that's my goal from the very get-go. That's my goal to start something and actually finish it. Yes, I will be met by failures. That's part of life. But my goal is to inspire anyone out there, especially in my community, so that we can start a movement. Mm. And I hope one day to start something like an NPO. Oh. It will be advocacy, but I wanted to branch into other stuff like arts because what I've realized is that today's generation, it needs something to be creative and artistic to grab their attention. Because we live in a social media world. It's not like past generations where there was no social media. Now we have to be more creative in ways to get to the youth out there. And I believe that's where it starts. I want to bring up your undergraduate studies. Listeners to this show will know I'm a closet foodie, but I'm also a bit of a closet architect. And so much coming out now globally about the impact of the built environment on health and mm. how poor or how much better the built environment can have an impact on health and well-being, both for ourselves, the animals we live with and the planet, the so-called One Health approach. Now, I was interested to hear when Michael read your bio out that you had majored in housing uh, developmental studies. Is that something that is close to your heart still? Is that something that you still see as kind of a hangover from the apartheid years and how spatial segregation has precluded good chronic care? Tell us a little about your university years and the impact of those studies. Uh, no, not really. I wouldn't say it's still at my heart. The reason why I went into housing is because since grade five, I wanted to be an architect. 
because my father was a builder. He had a construction company. So that's the environment I grew up in. And I've always been an artistic person. I was a good artist, drawer, and uh, I like drawing plans. Sometimes my father would just ask me randomly in high school to draw an informal plan for it that he will take to a professional architect as an idea. So from grade five, I wanted to be an architect. And then what happened is that in grade 11, when I started smoking weed, I started performing badly in maths. And I had to drop maths when I went to grade 12 because they told us that if I carry on with maths, I may not get into university. So I may have to drop. It wasn't something that I need for my course. So that's where I let go of my dream to be an architect. I still feel like one day I, I can go into architecture because I, I still feel like that's a dream for me, but it's at the backseat for now. So when I had to now think of something else, imagine telling yourself that you want to be an architect since 2008. The year I was diagnosed, by the way. Uh. And then seven years later, you have to change and think of something in the space of a few months because I'm ending my trick soon. I have to find a course to take. Wow. And I came across housing. <laughs> I never heard of housing, but I found it to be closely related to architecture. So I just applied for housing. I didn't put anything else because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just put housing and that's how I ended up doing housing. Uh, I won't say it's a bad cause. It's not. It's very important because it's all about human settlements, which is very important in our society. But I myself didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I would go somewhere with my creativity, my craft. I tried venturing into clothing. I started a clothing label, which ultimately <laughs> failed. And then I just decided to take my poetry seriously. At this stage, let's take a break to hear our latest community advocacy message from SA Diabetes Advocacy. It's National Diabetes Month in November, with World Diabetes Day on Tuesday the 14th of November. We are looking forward to all of the events and campaigns taking place this month. Whether you are wearing blue for diabetes on Tuesday the 14th of November or attending the 2023 Diabetes Summit on Wednesday the 15th of November, We will be discussing five key areas of diabetes being education, awareness and prevention, research and innovation, surveillance and access to care. These panels will be facilitated and moderated by some of our wonderful SA Diabetes Advocates. Or maybe you'll be joining for the community walks on Saturday the 18th of November and one of the various meetups happening in South Africa this month as we celebrate National Diabetes Month. Please visit all the World Diabetes Day events in SA 2023 on sweetlife.org.za to see all the events happening this month. Siabonga Kirsten speaks about five different streams that SA Diabetes Advocacy is currently working on and towards. Are you involved in any of those particularly? So, I'm involved in two. One on World Diabetes Day. As you know, in World Diabetes Day, you have to wear blue as I'm wearing blue right now. Under Street Life and NPO, that's an online community for people living with diabetes in South Africa. I'm one of the voices for Wear Blue for Diabetes. We just want people to know the five symptoms of diabetes and just turn South Africa blue. So I'm one of the voices there. And also on the next day, which is the 15th of November, next week, Wednesday, there's a diabetes summit in Pretoria. Diabetes Summit in Pretoria is focusing on giving those with lived experiences, such as me, a voice. And the theme for that summit is to speak about the 90-60-50 cascade for diabetes. That's the goal of the summit. And I'll be moderating the research and innovation panel. 
So that's what I'm involved in. Wonderful. One thing I noticed as you were drinking your coffee or tea there, that your mug was branded with your own branding. Yes, yes, for my series. <laughs> and so what I'm seeing is someone who's exceptionally active on social media. You have many places you're active on, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X. Wonderful. We'll put those handles for all those channels in our show notes, if we may. Yes, please. I would love that. One thing I was pleased to hear was your focus on creativity. And that's always been a focus of mine that we need exceptional creativity to deal with a very uncertain future that we're facing. And one of the poems that I saw on your Instagram feed was one called Moral Combat. And I think it was particularly pertinent to the current South African situation. But what I loved was the last line real art is revolutionary. How are you going to use your art and your advocacy to instigate or to drive or to facilitate a revolution in diabetes care and advocacy in South Africa? Okay, when it comes to diabetes care and advocacy, like I said, I just want to speak about what's really happening. Mm -hmm. Excuse the pun, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I want to put it out as it is out there. And not just by speaking, but by being creative, being creative through my writing, being creative through my podcast. I still have a lot planned. I'm also working on my book. Yes, tell us about that. There's a book, a poetry book coming out early next year. That book is just poetry. It doesn't really focus on diabetes because most of those poems I wrote when I wasn't writing about diabetes. That's when I wasn't honest about it. So I only have like two or three poems focusing on diabetes there. Mm -hmm. But the book I'm speaking about, so that one is called Millennial Thoughts, by the way, the poetry book, Millennial Thoughts. But the one I'm speaking about to answer your question is where I'll be speaking about my struggle with peer pressure growing up with diabetes. There's something you said about me feeling like I was robbed off my childhood. That's in my introduction of that book that I'm working on. It's not a poetry book. It's a memoir. Mm -hmm. It'll be a tell-all book. I'll be telling all about my journey with peer pressure, diabetes, and everything. So that's also part of being creative. So I don't want to just confine myself in just speaking. I want to write. I want to shoot content. Like I said, I want to start an NPO that won't only focus on advocacy in a way of speaking, but also creativity. It's wonderful to hear your authenticity, Siobonga. Normally, people write a memoir when they're an older person. You're a young man, but I see that it's a great idea at even this young age, because what I'm seeing is a very mature, authentic person sitting in front of me who's on a real life mission. And we can't actually afford to wait until you're 70 to hear your messages for other people who have diabetes and for health professionals. I think the time is right for you to write this memoir, and it may be an initial memoir. Hopefully, later on in life, you might follow that up with something that provides more accumulated years of wisdom. But I think you've got some powerful messages to share at this moment. Amazing, amazing. And I look forward to meeting you at the Diabetes Summit next week. I look forward to it too. To comment on the memoir part, me being too young, that's what I always said to myself as well. And people would ask me, why don't you write a book? And I always said, I still feel like I'm too young to write a book. And one friend told me that, don't be silly. You can never be too young to tell your stories. Absolutely. And that's why I got the idea of telling my diabetes story through writing. 
Michael, we've interviewed a number of authors on these podcasts. And when we think back to Ryan's interview with us at that point, you can almost hear the same story. He had had this message drummed into him that he wasn't good enough. He was too young. He was too old. His diabetes wasn't well managed. Mm -hmm. And he persevered. And he produced this fantastic mm -hmm. book telling us about his life journey. And he's also a young man, fabulous story to tell. And again, a person with diabetes. So it's come of age at this point in time because 20 years ago, these stories lay buried. We think of Elizabeth never told her story until we had the availability of social media. So for me, this is absolutely fantastic. And I still can't let go of this KZN analogy here, because, you know, you said, where will this journey go from? Well, for everybody who knows South Africa and who knows the mighty Chugela River, if you've had the privilege of climbing the Montessor, it starts as a mere trickle at the top of this mountain. And by the time it gets to the N3 and crosses that, it's a mighty river. Then it's overcome phenomenal geographic boundaries. It's had to cross this and it's had to go under this and it's crossed the rocks. And it hasn't been an easy journey for the river. Mm. And I think the same for you. And you have met this mighty ocean in that sense and have just gone forth and have really done exceptionally well. For me, some of the messages that I'm going to take away from today is really that your self-care and self-love had to be in place before you could really find a good footing for yourself. I'm hearing stories of forgiveness and kindness that have followed you on your journey at this point in time. And very important, that grit, that persistence and that perseverance that we hear from people who are often entrepreneurial in their nature, exactly as you are. And even though you spoke of a clothing label that had perhaps failed, that was by the by. It wasn't the right thing at the right time. And it didn't cause any pause or stumble in that sense. So that never say die attitude, I think. Fantastic mm -hmm. message for people out there living with diabetes, whether you have type 1 or type 2 or even caring for somebody with diabetes. Yes. I think the persistence and consistency is what's going to get people over the finish line. Absolutely. At this stage, Siobong, I'd love it if you could read your poem, Chronic Twins, which is dedicated to your sister who also has type 1 diabetes. And maybe once you've got through the poem, just tell us the role of social support in facilitating self-care of a chronic condition like diabetes. So here we go with Chronic Twins by Siobong Vanele. Our diagnosis threatened to make us the weak ones, but instead it made us the sweet ones. On some days, we'd feel bleak together. At the end of the week, we'd prevail together. In a world full of unreliable souls, to me, you're one of the few dependable. You are far from being expendable. You made an undesirable journey more bearable. I don't think I would have made it this far if you and I grew up apart. I want to impart that you are my star, my chronic twin. I love you with all my heart. Wow. So yes, home is dedicated to my sister. Like I said, I don't think I would have made it this far without my sister because as a family, we've went through a lot and living with a chronic condition, not just one child, I'm speaking about my father and I'm not just one child, but two children having diabetes. It can be every burden, mm. but the fact that I had my sister with me, it made it more better. At home, when I went out in the world, I felt like I was alone with diabetes. But at home, I never felt alone because my sister and I would take our medication at the same time. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm frustrated with not being able to control my sugar levels, especially when it's change of seasons, change of season can affect your diabetes. So I'd always complain that ah, I can't manage my diabetes. And she'd also say, ah, I can't manage my diabetes. And then maybe she'd give me some advice. I'd also give her advice until I spoke to so-and-so. And now since I'm on this advocacy journey, she also feels inspired as well now to start attending these kinds of things because of the fact that we are like chronic twins. 
she'll also be joining me in the summits because it's just about supports. When you don't have supports, it's hard to prevail. Yeah. So supports is very important when it comes to dealing with something like diabetes. Mm, thank you. Probably quite a few tears are going to be shed by listeners listening to this particular podcast episode, Siobonga. I think you have spoken with such courage, authenticity, truth, and raw lived experience, and it really has moved my heart. I can only commend you. I'm sure your family must be so proud of you in the young man that has grown up that has put the challenges of the past behind him, overcome them, not forgetting them, but that's what's molded you into the wonderful person that I'm seeing in front of me. And I think you can be very proud of yourself and I wish you the very best going forward. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure they're proud. My father passed away in May and he told me, he told me that he's proud of me. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Listeners, what a great podcast we've shared today. Mm. If part of this rings true with you or you want to share your own story or journey, don't forget to email us at podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Just when you think the stories that are told can't get any more inspirational or transformational, because that's going to be the one word I leave with today, Siobonga, transformational change for good. Mm. Been an absolute pleasure and a blessing, an honor, in fact, for Michael and I to have hosted mm. you today. And I hope that the summit next week brings about meaningful change for people with diabetes, for people who care for people with diabetes and the healthcare provider community at large. Listeners, don't forget to give us a like and a listen on your favorite social media podcast. Michael and I will be back next week with our 39th episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. May your week ahead be a blessed one. See you, Bonga. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you. What a wonderful episode of what I have come to call tangible learning. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But until next week, we look forward to being with you again over and out from all of us. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors, or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important, specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes, the health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized, professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap.